Hey, Outcomes Rocket listeners, Saul Marquez here. I get what a phenomenal asset a podcast could be for your business, and also how frustrating it is to navigate editing and production, monetization, and achieving the ROI you're looking for. Technical busy work shouldn't stop you from getting your genius into the world, though. You should be able to build your brand easily with a professional podcast that gets attention. A patched up podcast could ruin your business. Let us do the technical busy work behind the scenes while you share your genius on the mic and take the industry stage. Visit smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. That's smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. Hey everybody, Saul Marquez here and welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket. Today I have the privilege of hosting the outstanding Dr. John Schufelt. He has nearly three decades of experience leading high-performance teams and being a thought leader, an agent of change in the delivery of healthcare, entrepreneurism, and leadership. He received his BA from Drake, his MD from University of Health Sciences, the Chicago Medical School and completed his emergency medicine residency at Christ Hospital Medical Center here in Chicago. Then got his MBA and JD, just an academic at heart, but also a doer in healthcare, most recently serving as the CEO of Tribal EM and also board chair of MeMD. We're going to be diving into the future of virtual primary care and exploring access to these types of technologies in communities across the country. And so, John, such a pleasure to have you here with us today. Saul, thank you. I'm really honored to be on the podcast. Yeah. So, you know, you have done quite a lot in your your healthcare leadership career, John. Tell us what inspires your work in in healthcare. I still practice emergency medicine at a tertiary care center here in Phoenix, and then also on various reservations. And, you know, it's one of, it's literally the role I was born to do. And I, I think I knew that as young as five years old. You know, what carries me through now more than 30 years into it is I absolutely love being able to make a difference in people's lives that it's often, you know, sometimes the worst day of their life. And it could be a difference, you know, while practicing medicine, maybe a difference just as doing something as making them laugh, putting a hand on their shoulder. You know, I always tell the story about, you know, one of my biggest accomplishments was buying a intoxicated homeless guy a pair of shoes. Uh, he came in and he was intoxicated and was kind of sleeping and he came in for help. He was a little hyperthermic, meaning he was a little too hot. And I ran out and bought him a pair of shoes and basically put him on his lap as he was sitting up in bed. So I always kind of laughed thinking, you know, this poor guy wakes up and there's a new pair of shoes on his lap. And he's gonna be like, I need, I, need to get, I need to get drunk more often because this isn't bad. <laughs> so it's uh, it's that ability to, to even make a small difference in people's lives that really makes me love practicing emergency medicine. That's fantastic, John. I mean, your your love for it is, I mean, I feel it, you know, and, and I think it's it's fantastic that you still practice but you've gone also and, and done this on a more population enterprise level. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the, the things you have going on now with MeMD and Tribal EM? So uh, thanks. I really love the one-on-one in medicine where you can make some small changes. But I also love being able to impact populations. And, you know, my, my mantra has always been leave the world a better place than you found it. And so when I would see things in healthcare or in even some non-healthcare things that always think, you know, it's what a lot of entrepreneurs do, huh, there's a need here. What can I do? How can I make it better? Which that need is, gosh, started 10 plus businesses in my life. Some of them were just total abject failures because only I saw the need and no one else did. And then some of them have had, you know, they've gone out and had a little bit of success. 
So for, for me, MD, this started, I was long into the urgent care world. I started the first urgent cares in 93 and grew that to about 60 urgent cares and sold off that. And then literally a week later, I started this virtual healthcare in 2010. And at the time, you know, I got a lot of strange looks and a lot of people going like, okay, that's weird. And I was like, well, wait a minute, you can get education online, you do your banking online. This is the future of healthcare and for not all healthcare, but for a lot of healthcare, a lot of patients, you know, I'd see in the emergency department and a lot of the patients I'd see in the urgent care could see them easily virtually. You know, a lot of them did not need the lane of the hands. And so we started this to, to crickets and it started relatively so slow, but we built it up over time. And before the pandemic, you know, we had about four and a half million subscribers. And then of course, last year, it just took off like a rocket yeah. and, um, and it's still pandemic has changed virtual healthcare forever. And, you know, I would say it probably accelerated the business by about five years. And it was in some respects prescient that we did it back in 2010. I was probably a little too early to the game, which has been kind of my downfall in a few of these businesses, but, but ultimately it worked out relatively well. And, you know, now we see hundreds of patients a day. We've got a great group of providers. We're in all 50 States. And I'd always laugh. I'd say, you know, you can save someone's life in the emergency department and they'd look at you and go, well, yeah, that's what you're here for. But boy, you treat a woman at 3 a.m. with a urinary tract infection so she can get her medications a few hours later and you're like Moses because it makes that much of a difference to her as opposed to going in and waiting in the doctor's office or waiting in urgent care in an emergency department, paying a fraction of the price and getting it done immediately. So that's where MEMD's at. Yeah, that's fantastic, John. And, and you know, you're right. It's all like contextual, right? You, you know, on the one hand, the ER experience versus the, the virtual primary care, I need you right now, but it's not the ER experience. It's fantastic. And the acceleration that COVID has brought about for these technologies is just phenomenal. You know, as you reflect on on some of the work that you do, what would you say is a critical way that you guys are improving outcomes? And maybe you zoom into MEMD again, or if you want to shed a little light on Tribal EM, that's cool. Sure. Too. Yeah, let's talk about Tribal. So Tribal is, it's a medical management and staffing company that works only on indigenous lands. Huh. And it started almost by accident. I was the chief medical officer in a, was a facility called, that went 638. It's called the Indian Self-Determination Act. And it's when, it's when the indigenous population of an area goes to IHS in health service and says, you know what? We want to do our health care for ourselves. We're going to take it over. And, and IHS is part of their kind of foundational role. Says, okay, here's what you need to do. And this tribe did it and did a great job. I was hired as their chief medical officer. And what I witnessed was that they use these staffing agencies that I'd always laugh with, you know, some of the providers would pass the fog and mirror test. If they could fog a mirror, they'd, they'd basically throw them up there. And some of them, I would just, some of them were awesome, but many of them were less so. And most of them were not board, none of them were board certified in emergency medicine. And, and it was literally falling apart. And the CEO of the hospital time came and said, can you fix this? Because this is turning into a disaster. And I, thought, gosh, at the time I'd spent 25 years running emergency departments. Sure, I can fix this. And so we were able to bring all board certified EM physicians up there and then started bringing literally flying in a helicopter specialists up there every week. So instead of these tribal members driving 90 miles down to the valley, the specialists, and we had some just best in class specialists, everything from hand surgery to pulmonary medicine and critical care to psychiatry. We literally had bariatric surgery. We literally had it all. And these physicians would fly up there. We transport them up there once or twice a month in a helicopter from Phoenix. And it just made all the difference in the world because one, now the hospital is not trying to figure out a way to get folks down in the valley. The providers were coming up. 
And number two, they weren't the folks, the indigenous population wasn't having to pay to go down there and wait in office. And it was just a huge hassle for them. And so it really impacted the way care was being delivered for this tribe. And then I started finding other tribes um, that had the same sort of, you know, kind of historical challenges with getting best-in-class healthcare. And I thought, you know what, there's a business model here. And, you know, for me, it's probably been the best thing I've ever done because, again, I really feel like I'm making a multi-generational difference because a lot of the folks have just not had the best healthcare in the world. And it, I thought it was frankly shameful that here they are living in the United States. They were here first, yep. and and yet they're getting care oftentimes at, not to the same level that we're getting it, you know, down in the cities or the suburbs. And so that's kind of what we do to make a difference. And from my perspective, you know, I was up there providing the care myself, and basically hired friends and colleagues and people who had that mission-driven sort of mentality, and brought them up there. And to a person, they're like, okay. This, I love this. All I'm doing is practicing medicine and of all the other crap to deal with, it's all about taking care of patients. And so all these specialists who were, some of them were literally world-class, were flying up there in this helicopter and being like, oh my God, I love this. I'm just practicing medicine and that's all I have to do. And they, you know, they do it once or twice a month and get a huge kick out of it. You know, it's interesting, John. So where did the helicopter idea come from? Well, so I, I fly helicopters and and so I, I occasionally take them out there myself, but then as it got it got to be more scale, I had a we had to find a professional helicopter uh, mm-hmm. group to take them up there. But when they couldn't make it on that, I would just fly myself. That's awesome. You mixed a little passion with your profession and I'm sure these doctors were getting a kick out of just flying out there on a helicopter too, right? Well, some of them, some of them were mildly terrified and, you know, they, they kind of flew back in some bad weather. And I'd say, well, we'll just play some Buddy Holly songs for you or John Denver or, you know, and they'll, and they'd laugh and look at me like, okay, you're, you're kind of a sick sense of humor. Um, but, you know, no one threw up, no one got injured. And we canceled a few flights when the weather was bad. But, but yeah, they actually loved it because it's beautiful scenery over oh, the mountains. Yeah. And like I said, they didn't have to do anything but take care of people. And so it was a really cool experience. And that's the attraction. And for sure, I mean, like kudos to you for having seen this opportunity and, and having done something about it. A lot of times, good ideas don't translate into, into viable businesses. But what would you say was, was the thing that made this one work? I, I think just, so I've had a lot of ideas that I've translated into businesses that were abject failures. And I think they retrospectively probably still a good idea, but it was my execution that was bad. I was ahead of my time. And so there's all sorts of reasons to, to say, okay, th- here's probably why this one failed. I think the reason this one succeeded was a couple fold. One, I was super passionate about it. And number two, the hospital was passionate about it, particularly after they saw the outcomes of these folks who couldn't get in to see a cardiologist for months when they went to the Valley, but all of a sudden one shows up at their door and is like, hey, here to help. What do you need? Yeah. And kind of everybody I brought up there had that same sort of mission-driven mentality. So it was kind of seeing the success and then and then taking the ball and running with it and and expanding services really quickly. And that's been one of the, probably the best things I can, when I look back at my career, doing that was definitely one of the highlights. Yeah, congratulations. And as you think about, you know, all the things you've done to improve outcomes and even make business better, what would you say is one that sticks out? It's so we, we staff a couple of emergency departments in the Great Plains, and, and they were both hospitals had lost their CMS accreditation, they'd lost their Joint Commission accreditation, they had all sorts of problems. And we were able to go in there 
and turn both of these emergency departments around. So when I would go in there and work after a few months, literally I'd say, gosh, guys, these are the easiest, most efficient EDs I work in. And I work in some solid emergency departments, and these two were on the reservation. And they had such a long, bad history of poor patient outcomes and poor service. To be able to turn those around, and when I say it wasn't just me, there's a whole team of people, but the fact that we were able to do this and change the construct of how that population viewed the care they were receiving has been a huge blessing. And it wasn't rocket science. It's just that someone cared and found a group of people that cared as well and put our heads together and, and changed the culture of how care was delivered. That was a huge blessing. And so you're in this situation and these, these hospitals are, are struggling. They've failed all the certifications. They've, their accreditations are out the window. I mean, why would you even take that on? It's, I have a hard time finding, so, so I'm one of those people, you know, you'd have to, you know, if I was in a fight, you'd have to kill me in, in the sense <laughs> that I'm just one of those people, like, if I see something that I believe in, I will literally go to the wall. And I always say I'm too dumb to quit. And so a lot of the stuff is like, it just strikes me as being unfair. Yeah. And I've grown up just totally hating bullies. And I felt like in some respects, these folks were getting bullied. And it wasn't by a person or it wasn't by an institution. It was just, you know, it was just, they just had this experience of like, okay, well, here's another group that doesn't really care. And I yeah. thought, okay, I just, it was inherently unfair to me. And I hate stuff like that. So I just wanted to try to make a difference. Good for you. That's fantastic, John. And you've turned them around and, and you and the team have turned them around and now they're cranking on all cylinders. How are they doing? They're actually both doing really well. We have a great group of board certified providers up there. We have a great group of nurses and, you know, and they still have struggles. They still, you know, they still have their share of, uh, oh my God, I can't believe that happened. And there's like much in emergency medicine, there's a million funny stories that come out of there where you say, well, I never saw that one coming. But compared to where they were, it's a 180 degree turn for them maybe 179 degree turn, 180 on some days. But <laughs> but in general, they're both doing very well. They've got their accreditations back. They have a staff that has a lot of pride in taking care of the patients. Their wait times went from hours to minutes. And it's it's been a very cool road and evolution for those hospitals. That's fantastic. As you reflect on, on maybe some of the things that you've struggled the most with, John, what would you say is, is one of the biggest setbacks you've experienced and a key learning that came out of that? Well, God, I've had so many of them, we'd probably have to do another show. I think the biggest, instead of focusing on one of them, because there's so many, I can't even pick one. I think the biggest thing I've learned from setbacks is that every time I've gotten smacked in the face, proverbially, something good has always come out of it. And so for me, then it comes down to perspective, even though it stings like hell at the time. And you feel like, you know, your world got rocked. And I mean, I've had a few of the world rocking experiences where one, you didn't see it coming. And two, it was, you know, one was 17 years of work, which kind of blew up overnight. Hmm. And then now I can look back and say, God, thank God that happened. Because, you know, if that didn't happen, then this wouldn't have happened. Like me and D wouldn't have happened, for example. Yeah. And so for every one of those major setbacks, screw ups, failures, I've learned that if you you know, I'm kind of one of those stoic believers. If you change your perspective, if you look at kind of the Marcus Aurelius, the obstacle is the way sort of mentality, you can make something good out of it and take the learning and apply it elsewhere. And so now I'm coming to the point and it's, I don't want to say it's Pollyanna, but it probably is annoying as hell. It's not like, okay, good. All right. Well, that's good. Let's see what else. Let's see what we can make of this now. Let's see what learning will come from this. Let's see what cool thing is right around the corner. Cause there always is a cool thing right around the corner. So 
I take that perspective and, you know, I always say, and I'm sure it annoys people, if no one's dying, how, how bad can it be? And it's that whole emergency to medicine thing. Like I've seen people dying in these horrible deaths and, and losing children and all this stuff over 30 years. And I've kind of developed this perspective of, you know what? My worst day is a hundred times better than most people's best day that I take care of in the emergency department. So I have absolutely no right to complain about pretty much anything. As long as no one's dying, my kids are fine, my family's fine, my team is fine, you're not going to hear me complain. That's a great attitude, John. And uh, probably a big reason you've been successful in you know your medical career and also your entrepreneurial career in medicine. So kudos to you and, and the work you've done. Well, you're here, right? And so MeMD is taking off and it's time finally came. What would you say you're most excited about? So right, right now, I mean, I have a ton of experience, some of it bad, but a ton of experience. And I'm kind of at the stage of my career now where I want to do two things. I want to help other, you know, new kind of venturers, new folks who want to get into the entrepreneurial world. And I want to see if I can help them kind of like almost a Y Combinator sort of perspective where you kind of teach them everything I screwed up on so they don't make the same mistake. So I'm very excited about that. I have a book coming out called Entrepreneurs RX, The Physician's Guide to Starting a Business. That'll be out June 1st. You can buy it on Amazon now. Nice. So I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited about helping physicians because generally physicians get absolutely no business training. I'd always laugh and say the only business class I had before medical school was typing in high school and I flunked it. And so <laughs> we're kind of, you know, you're thrown out there and you're paid a decent salary, but you have no idea what to do with it. And then two, if you want to start a business, you're really just scrambling and trying to figure it out. And a lot of physicians have this mentality. And I don't think the crowd, I don't think the generation now does, but my generation certainly did. And I certainly did. You know, oh, how hard can this be? We got through medical school and come to find out it's pretty damn hard. And so I, I want to share what I've learned and all the mistakes I've made with, with physicians who want to start businesses or anything and really anybody in healthcare. So I'm really excited about that. And I'm really excited also about AI, artificial intelligence and its use in healthcare. And so at some point, I'm going to really dive headfirst into that more than I've already dove into it and seeing if we can affect outcomes using artificial intelligence. Well, it's exciting. If you're a physician listening to this and something that John said inspired you or created curiosity, I'm sure John would welcome you reaching out. And so John, on that note, we like to make things happen here. So talk to us about a closing thought that uh, you want us to think about and then where the listeners can reach out to you to, to learn more, to engage and to, to find ways to partner. You, you bet. So closing thought I would say or I would have is this. If I can do it, anybody can. And if you have the proper perspective, approach it with a great deal of humility and a sense of humor because... God knows I'm the butt of most of my jokes, well deserve it. And if you can approach it that way and have this kind of constant lifelong learning perspective, the world is wide open for you to be as successful as you allow yourself to be. But I believe the key is keeping your ego out of it, because if you have an ego that's fragile, being an entrepreneur is a pretty tough place to be because your ego gets smacked in the face pretty much daily. And if you can't turn around and laugh at yourself for the dumb things you've done, life's going to be awfully difficult for you. If I was getting in touch with me, my website is johnshufeldmd.com and it's S-H-U-F-E-L-D-T. You can also find me on LinkedIn. I'm at johnshufeldmd on Twitter. 
and John Shield on the on Facebook and Instagram. Outstanding, John. Really appreciate that. And make sure to check out the show notes in the links. We'll find all the ways that John just mentioned and how to get in touch with them, as well as a link to his new and upcoming book. Definitely one that I'll be picking up. And with that, John, I just want to say thank you. Thanks for all you do. And thanks for all that's to come in, in the healthcare innovation that you're a big part of. Thanks, Saul. It's a pleasure to be on the podcast. Thank you so much. Hey, everyone. Saul Marquez here. Have you launched your podcast already and discovered what a pain it could be to keep up with editing, production, show notes, transcripts, and operations? What if you could turn over the keys to your podcast busy work while you do the fun stuff like expanding your network and taking the industry stage? Let us edit your first episode for free so you can experience the freedom. Visit smoothpodcasting.com to learn more. That's smoothpodcasting.com to learn more.